Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. This morning, if you um, are here, I want to talk about Barnabas. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. And he was an amazing guy because he triggered so much in the New Testament because he believed in people. Um, encouragement is a, an incredible thing in any, any situations. Uh, we had an elders meeting this week at the church and uh, Chrissy and I and Freddie were there and uh, we walked in and we heard this melodious sound. We thought the angels were singing. And it was amazing, and we, we went in, we, Chris and I were looking, and we realised it wasn't Freddie, and there no noises coming out of his office. And we went in, and we saw Pastor Viv on the end of a, in the room by herself with a guitar. And we thought it was the angels, but no, it was like, bring it down to earth, it was only Pastor Viv. But the thing is, she was an encouragement, because we came into this environment where the sound was just going on. And then we looked at the ground and we saw her, her guitar case was there and we thought, no, she's actually busking. She's, pra- she's, she's practicing for busking. They don't pay her enough. So Chris and I came and threw, threw a few coins at her. And, um, but the thing is, we realised that that was like a little bit of active encouragement. Um, didn't say too much, but it was just something to inject a little bit of, hey, you're doing a good job. We appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, when I grew up as a young fella, um, there was a couple in our church, it was a big church, but there was a couple called Graham and Judy Rushbrook. He was a teacher, I forget what she did, but they always used to come along as a new believer and just offer words of encouragement. Every week there was just, it wasn't artificial, it was real. And, and I thought, man, this is actually cool. No one in my life has ever done this before. And then sometimes I would actually get this little letter or card in the mail from this couple just saying, hey, what you did last week, you know, we're leading some song groups or worship groups or whatever. Just words of encouragement that came and actually just inspired us and motivated us and egged us on, or me as an individual. I'm fairly competitive by nature, so I actually sent a a card back to them, you know, because they sent me this uh, card of encouragement, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll pay you back. So I wrote a a card saying, I really appreciate your card of encouragement. Um, this is a card just to say thank you for all your encouragement. You know, but it was a word of encouragement that actually inspired me to keep on going and motivating us. And you know, A little bit of encouragement goes a long way. This year the, the theme for the church is rising tide. And if you can imagine in your spirit encouragement lifting, like a tide, lifting, lifting, rising to a new level. I believe it's something which we can all inspire to do. It's not difficult to be able to encourage someone, give them a little bit of a a nudge, a little bit of a motivation to inspire them to lift them on. Encouragement triggers movement in the church. Um, And one of these little trigger agents was Barnabas. Um, To give you a little bit of history, as tradition says, they reckon Barnabas was one of the 72 that Jesus sent out. We obviously know the disciples, the 12 of them, but there were 72 of the other guys that were, in the early days, hearing a message, they responded, and as Jesus sent them out, they went off. They had a little bit of encouragement by Jesus to do that. You know, don't take clothes with you, don't take money with you, don't take bags with you, just go out and do the deal. And they reckon Barnabas was one of those 72 people that did that. And then when we first examine the scripture, the first mention of Barnabas is actually in Acts uh, 4 verse 36. Um, 
And this is what it says. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the, apostle, or whom, the, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold the field that he owned and brought it to the, to the, uh, the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So just play it back a little bit, because I try and imagine myself in this situation. Right in the early book of Acts, lots of change had taken place. Obviously the Holy Spirit had fallen on the church. Jesus had just been crucified, he'd been resurrected, he'd gone to heaven. You would have had 12 disciples really confused, even in that situation. You know, all this support, all this supply probably would have been in the vanguard of Jesus. He was there saying, okay, go, go down to the uh, water of Peter and cast your line in and uh, you get some coins to pay our taxes. Provision coming. You know, people were coming and giving money to Jesus' ministry. But Barnabas, right at the early start, stages of the gospel, realised that he was in partnership with the apostles. He may not have been a frontline apostle um, working with those 12, but he was in the vanguard with the group of people there. And he took his resources, all that he had, and he actually laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was part of the foundation for the emerging church. Pastor James last week was talking about generosity, you know, being wise with your money. I reckon he, as an early change agent for the church, was incredibly wise with the resources that he had. Because what he did, he started to partner with the apostles. He may not have done it indeed, but he was doing it in financial support. Uh, it was a really critical time. Generosity and encouragement goes hand in hand. You can imagine the disciples having these guys bring this money for this field. It would have been expensive. And just deposited it at the disciples' feet. Why? For the establishment of the church. You know, James last week talk about, talked about wisdom and money going hand in hand. You know, and the, the third phase of what he talked about was actually going beyond tithing. And the early church believers, what they did is they gave over and above what was required. And that caused the propulsion of the gospel to take place. So the gospel, generosity and encouragement somehow is fused together. You know, for 20 odd years, you know, I've lived by faith in, in missions. Um, I never go asking for people for money, but I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit says to people from time to time, support with this ministry. And I get blown away because a little bit of encouragement goes a long, long way. And, and as a church, we don't actually go and sort of rattle the cages and ask for people for money. It's, it's a low-profile thing. We just trust that the God who we serve will speak to us and cause our resources that we have to be used wisely for him. So generosity and wisdom go hand in hand. Well, Barnabas, that was his nickname. We all need a Barney in our life. You know, I guess Fred Flintstone had a Barney rubble. Um, but the thing is, we all need a Barnabas in our life. His original name, his true name, was actually called Joseph. Not Joe, Joseph. And in the Hebrew, what it says is Yahweh will increase. So Joseph in the Hebrew basically means Yahweh will increase and he will add. You know, what an incredible name to have. And so we see that this name that he had, he was generous and he gave away, but God actually gave back to this young man, uh, Barnabas. And then a few years later, we see he's propelled into, his, into ministry. It says this in Acts 13. He says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke again, saying, Now separate to me Barnabas and Paul for the work which I've called them to do. And having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent him away. There was a commissioning. So this young guy, Barnabas who was encouraging um, the church at the time. He was commissioned as an apostle. You know, it was an amazing thing. It was a growth thing that happened um, 
in this man's life. He was coming into his ministry because he was faithful with what he had, and somehow God was blessing him. God was adding to him. God was expanding him to, to him. It would have been a very difficult time for the church. You know, of, of persecution was happening. Um, uh, so in the scenario which we ha- had at the time, you had this guy called Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, and he was going around bagging. He was going and destroying. He was trying to uh, wipe out the church. He hated it. He had a background that was um, with the Sadducees, sorry, the Pharisees, and he basically despised what was happening in the church. He, he was jealous, I guess. He was confused. And he was a letter of the law man. He hated it. And then he had an encounter with God, which was amazing. It changed his life. But everyone recognized this man called Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He was a, um, they, were, they were afraid of him. He was an inquisitor. Um, he proactively and aggressively attacked the church. You know, he was killing people. He was wanting to take people out and stone them and have them whipped and, and killed. That was where he was at. And yet, at this time, something was happening in the spirit. God was setting up Paul for a ministry. And Paul, as a young man, working with the disciples, wasn't just obviously following the disciples. He was actually, um, he was actually seeing destiny in people's lives around him. And so this young man called Paul, who was shafting the church, had someone to believe in him, called Barnabas, to come alongside and and walk the road with him. He believed in him. This is what it says in Acts. When Paul arrived, or Saul arrived in Jerusalem, um, he tried to meet with the believers, and they were all afraid of him, and they didn't believe that he'd truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. And how the Lord had spoken to him. And so Barnabas saw something in Paul who had had a radical conversion. Everyone was afraid. But this young man, Barnabas, actually believed in this rascal that everyone had written off. And I think in the church as we move ahead, we've got to be able to look around us and see the emerging Pauls. World changes. You know, there are people in our sphere sphere of influence that can trigger so much for so many people. Next week we're going to hear the story about Georgie being in prison and his journey through there. But he had someone believe in him on that journey. And we're going to hear that the trigger forward, the play it forward scenario in multiple directions because someone stood alongside him. We've got to say, bring it on. You know, encouragement can go a long way. It really can. A little bit of breath on a fire can invigorate it. Uh, Chris, one of our elders this morning, was talking about the fire needing to be blown on. And I believe it's like encouragement. A little bit of fanning the flame. It's like the the bellows. Blowing on the fire can kindle it. You know, we've got a fire at home, and sometimes you light it and it just wants to go out, and and you can puff and huff and blow and smoke goes everywhere, and nothing seems to happen. So Chris, in her wisdom last year, for my birthday, bought me a bellows. You know, one of those things that you can, don't have to, it does it all mechanically. I tell you what, it takes the effort out of starting a fire. It's wisdom. But I tell you what, as a church, if we can develop a culture of encouragement to be able to, at times, but also bellows, you know, fan the flame of encouragement for people around us, because it's going to egg people on, it's going to stimulate, it's going to motivate, it's going to encourage them. We can all do it. It doesn't take five years in university to figure out how to encourage someone. We just have to develop a culture of that. So this week we probably find 
120 cards going to Pastor Viv saying she's a wonderful musician, you know, and her head will inflate and, you know, and she'll say, bring it up. No, I don't, I don't know. The thing is, encouragement helps us all. It does. You know, Barnabas is a bit of a summary. He was a man. His name was Joseph. He was, he was a Levite. He was a religious dude, but he wasn't religious. He came from the island of uh, Cyprus. He was an, ex, ex, an amazing example of generosity. He sold his land under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he contributed the money to the apostles for the establishment of the church. His actions caught the eyes and the attention of the apostles at the time, and then they changed his name to Barnabas. You know, uh, Joseph was a good name, but somehow the encouragement that he provided, that was his nickname. You know, his name became Barnabas. Um, it also means son of encouragement or um, consolation. <coughs> A great name to have. We don't have too many Barnabases around in our... Yeah, we've got five grandchildren. I don't think they call our grandchildren Barnabas. But it's a neat name as you actually peel it back. And, and in life, we just need to develop this culture of encouragement. It's not easy to do. We all need encouragement. In the relationships that we have, we need to have encouragement. Um, Chris and I have been married 35 years. Um, you know, it's good to be together. You know, marriage... Relationships are critical. Other relationships in our life are critical are with our children and our family. That's important. And also with our friends. That's really, really important. But this morning, I want us to look very quickly at four other relationships. One of these relationships, I believe, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. People know about him in their head, but they don't know about them in their heart. You know, um, in our society today, the understanding of Jesus is getting watered down. But bottom line is, we've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second style of relationship is a Barnabas-style relationship, where we can actually walk alongside someone and believe in them. It's simple. It's not difficult. A third style of relationship that we can have with people is what I call a Paul relationship, a mentor, a mentor or a challenger, to be able to walk beside and to be able to lead us on, who's a few steps ahead of us, to be able to say, come on, come on, let's do this together. It's a proactive thing. And we also need to have this fourth relationship, which is like a Timothy or a Titus relationship, where we've got someone who's really mature in the faith to be able to come alongside and discern something in a young person's life and to be able to walk and pull and tease and coax so Arwen and Faith have been led by Pastor James and Viv in the office. You know, that's part of that relationship. It's key, it's important. But I believe as we start to look around us, within the church and outside the church, there are people that God can give to us that are going to be like a Paul for us to be able to get that extra strength from. But there's also going to be the people like the Timothys that we can look down to and think, hey, I can speak into your life. I can actually help you. And so we can just uh, walk on. So Samu, as an illustration, you know, Samu is a young guy, he gets radically saved. He's, stand up. You know, he's a radical believer. And he, he's, he's just a novice in the faith. And we've got Chris, who's been to Bible college, and she's super saint, and her halo was just, stand up. <laughs> you know. And, and just because she's been to Bible college and she's um, read the Word of God 15 times uh, this year alone, uh, and she's so amazing, doesn't make her any more qualified than someone who has just given his heart to the Lord last week. 
Because I tell you what, if he gave his heart to the Lord last week, which is seven days, there's someone down the track that is seven days younger than him that he can actually start to be a Paul to a Titus or a Timothy. You know, it's about discipleship. If we had 250 saved people come into the church next year, it's possible, and people think, well, but God is a God of the impossibility. We're going to have to have a whole bunch of people to be able to nurture, disciple, and care for these emerging people. To be that fire. To be able to breathe into those situations. Mentoring is critical. Coaching. You know, and a lot of, this is what I do in, in, in a Monday to Friday, or Monday to, let's see, Monday to Monday, it's 24-7 sort of thing, where I'm mentoring and coaching pastors and missionaries and business leaders. And mentoring, if you want to spell a word, mentor, the beginning word, like M, is basically managing a relationship. Very important. A mentor will always process that relationship well. E is for encouragement, egging on empowering. N is for nurturing the situation. Yeah, take your photographs out and copy this because it's actually good training. It's easier to taking taking notes. Um, So nurturing is critical. Mentoring is about teaching people and training people. And O is for offering mutual respect. It's not like looking down at someone and lording over people. It's actually a mutual um, honouring of each other. Because we can learn from each other. Uh, it connects as well. And R is for responsibility. You know, we've got to respond to the uh, mentorees' needs. You know, someone's younger than us, then they're going through a hard time. We've got to be able to invest. We've got to be able to um, speak into their situation and respond to them where they're at. You know, the highs and the lows. It's part of what mentoring is all about. Mentoring is about partnership. And it's something which will grow as time uh, develops and moves on. And so once, when we re- open up the book of Acts, we see, as, and we've read this morning, the apostles uh, set apart Barnabas and Paul. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, it's actually Paul and Barnabas. Something had actually changed where this young guy had actually outgrown in relationship, even as trainer. And so we've got this development where we've got Barnabas and Paul then it's more like Paul and Barnabas together, and then it's Paul and Barnabas. There's a development. And so in mission development and training, we see this whole principle develop and repeat itself. And so where we see um, like missionaries go out, and they go out basically as a parent to a situation where you've got like the missionary parenting clusters of uh, new, new believers cross-culturally. And it's the same in the church. And then after a period of time, because this relationship is developed, we actually get um, a partner situation. No, no longer the parent up here, we've actually got a, a, a partnership developing. There's, a, there's an infusion where it's basically like we're in this together. And as time goes on, we see this thing develop even further where it's like peers, you know, they're colleagues in ministry. There's a, colla- co- uh, there's a connection which is developed to another level where there's a, there's a belief in the ministries on their own strength and their own right. There's a collegiality of what's actually taking place in the partnership. And so we see this growth that will take place. Um, very, very important. Um, the guy who led me to the Lord was a guy called Ken Harrison. Um, go back a couple of slides. I think you'll see the, you just jump back, you know, you'll see the mentoree thing. I want to just talk to him about, that's the guy there. This is the guy who was a teacher. Um, he saw something in my life when I was at school. Um, 
bit of a radical, but he saw he discerned something in my life. So he became the Barnabas to me. He was also the Paul to me because I could always look to him for advice and he would encourage me. When I first went on missions, he took me overseas and we started to do missions together and we prophesied together. And, there, and as time went on, there was like a peer relationship that was developing. This guy actually grew in the faith and he became the superintendent of the Assemblies of God here in New Zealand. Was there for a number of years. He became the head of New Zealand Combined Churches, re represented uh, the churches in New Zealand before the government. And so he was growing in the faith, but he was still looking for the Timothys and the Tituses around him. You know, he, through his ministry, has um, empowered, I think, 47 people to become pastors in their own right that are planting and establishing churches now. It's been like play at Ford. There's been a development. But we need to be like Ken to be able to encourage people. And jump forward a couple of more slides and we'll come back to um, encouraging people. Next, just jump forward. This guy here, um, not the guy in the black on the right, that's uh, a bit thinner, but the guy in the middle is a guy called Louis Panafasio. Um, I was at a conference a number of years ago, and I could see in the mix, amongst the crowd, there were thousands of people there, probably two and a half, three thousand people. I saw this guy with shoulders that were hunched. He was looking a little bit gloomy, and I sat down with him, and then his wife basically came into the situation. And... Uh, I started to share prophetically. I said, you've got it all together. You've got a great church. It's, it's growing. But there's a missing piece in your church. And you've been asking God what that missing piece was. And that missing piece is mission. You'll never discover yourself and you'll never grow in the church until you discover mission in the heart of your church. And he thought, oh, that's heavy duty. But he, he phoned me back a couple of weeks later and he said, all the things at the conference were amazing, but they meant nothing to me. What meant something to me is you sitting with me and my wife having coffee to be able to give me a word of encouragement. And what we'd been praying for and looking for was answers for the direction of our church. And the missing piece truly was mission. He said, how do I do it? This is too hard. He said, I've been to Bible colleges. I've been a lecturer at Bible college. I know all this stuff. But they didn't teach us about mission. How do we do this? And I said, the best way is for you to come with me and go somewhere in the world. I said, I'm planning a trip um, in a couple of months' time to uh, East Timor and into Indonesia. Would you like to come with me? And he said, let's go. And this was only about 10 years ago. And so he packs his bags, and we ended up doing this trip, and it blew him away. And so I'm like a Paul to this emerging um, Barnabas coming on on the scene. And so as he's, as he's responded to the faith, just, just jump on another slide here. This... This guy has grown in his understanding of mission. So we were doing a conference in South Auckland, and uh, there were only two brown faces in South Auckland, you know, which is like, go figure. Um, two brown faces, and he was one of them. And he said, how is it in South Auckland we've only got two brown faces here in this amazing conference, you know? Something's wrong, you know? What do we do? And he said, how do we get mission into the heart of the Pacific Island churches. And I said, I've got no idea, but we've got to start somewhere. But we can do this together. And so jump forward, and I've shown you before how this whole thing of Pacific to Nations has gone viral. You know, we've had to hire the Vodafone Centre in South Auckland twice, and it's all full of people, and people are responding. And all of a sudden, people are hearing about this thing, and it's gone global now. Um, and so this uh, coming month, next slide I think it's got there. I'll just jump on one more. That's an important scripture, but... We're going to end up doing Pacific to Nations in um, Hawaii in two weeks' time. Who wants to come to Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> Encourage us, yeah. We're only going to be there for a day, by the way. 
we're going to be in and out and gone. Um, and then we're going to go to Tacoma. This is up in Washington State. And then we're going to go to Seattle. And there's got these conferences where all these people are coming together to understand mission for the first time because they're going, oops, how the heck do we do this? You know, where do we start? Where do we go? We don't know, but we're just trying to blow that enthusiasm into their lives. Then we're going to go down to Seattle, um, then San Francisco, and then down to Anaheim in um, Los Angeles. Why? Because God has spoken to us to do something. And you can see, even from last year, all these mission teams, that we had over 500 young people do missions for the first time last year because there was a little bit of encouragement to do something. God never said it was going to be easy. But I don't want to see just like a Louis, you know, as one change agent, like Barnabas was to Paul. I want to see dozens of change agents where people pick up the mantle and they run with it. They become Holy Ghost arsonists. You know, this is Olympic torch, this microphone. And they can start fires in all different directions. Encouragement goes a long way. It says in Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another, build each other up, encourage them. Well, how do we do that? Well, it starts with looking around us. Who is God asking us to be able to support, encourage, and motivate and egg on? There has to be someone. One of the things I get really frustrated with in global missions is the lack of encouragement for our missionaries that are on the field. They get hardly any support from their home churches or from their pastors. It's, it's, It's diabolical. And then we've got people that have gone out and church plant into some really remote locations of the world. No one comes alongside them and encourages them. It's hard enough starting a new church without just a little bit of a, come on, we're believing in you. We're believing in you. Next slide there. You'll see someone, something coming up here. So the guy on the right-hand side, this side over here with me, is a guy called Pastor Slade. He's from um, Brisbane. Um, done great church, you know. Um, he's, a polit- he's, a, uh, he's like Samu. He works in the judicial system and the prisons and the courts. He trains all the people there. But he realised that there was a lack in his life, and that was mission. But no one had taught him mission in the church, and the culture of the church was just to look after themselves. It wasn't to think global. And so the Lord said to um, me, come alongside him and just encourage him, like I did with Louis a number of years ago. And what's happening within his network, it's going viral through Australia now. There's something that's happened in his life. So we did a trip a couple of months ago um, overseas. I won't say, say exactly where, but... We went into a situation, and the guy in the middle in the red shirt, he'd been put in prison for five whole years because he shared his faith in that country. Five years. Thing is, he'd led over 300, possibly 350 families to the Lord. Not individuals, families. This is about 10, 12, 13 people in a family. But he hadn't given up. He hadn't had a pity party or um, anything like that. He kept on pushing on pushing on, pushing on. But he said, Phil, you're the only guy that's ever come in all my years of ministry to be able to offer a word of encouragement. We're part of a denomination, part of a movement. No one from my movement has ever come alongside and said, hey, you're doing okay. A little bit of encouragement goes a long, long way. Next slide. This guy here in the middle, God's called him to plaster a plaster a church. No. <laughs> Plant a church in a cemetery in, in a very large city um, in uh, Indonesia called um, Surabaya, mega city. And so this guy 
called of God to start a church. Why would you start a church in the middle of a cemetery? Well, because God says to do something. And so what they've done is they've cleared off an area about the front stage area here. They've, they've got rid of some gravestones and headstones. And 240, 260, 270 people gather there every week. The people who gather there are people that live within the cemetery. They're often the people that maintain the graveyards and pull the weeds out, dig the graves uh, for people. They're also the prostitutes that live there because no one else wants them. So what you've obviously got, you're not obviously got, but you've got a, um, a grave, you've got a headstone, and then what often happens is they put like a lid on the top and the people live under the the lid and the grave in, in the middle. You see these mattresses and their little pots and these little fires. They live there. And the prostitutes live there. The homeless live there. All these people are going to hell. But I tell you what, this guy, this pastor, is there to be able to look after these people. It's tough. These guys can't afford anything. He said, man, you guys turn up. Every time you're here, you come and spend some time encouraging us. Sometimes slip some money into his pocket just to be able to help bless him. But he, he needs encouragement in that very difficult situation. Next slide. Next slide. The guy on, in the dark on, on this side is a guy called E. Wan. Um, I mentor him. Uh, he's an amazing businessman. He's, he's into radio and things like that. But he started 17 counselling centres in his nation. But he looks to me as a Paul. Um, would, a, a, a Timothy or Titus would look to a Paul. And I've done the journey with him. He's an amazing guy. And um, he went into, um, to Bible college. And all his colleagues went off to another number of locations in their nation. And the guy in the middle went to a particular location. He'd been there for 14 odd years. But he's never had anyone come alongside him and say, you're doing cool. You're doing okay. Well, I said to Ewan, how do we encourage this guy? How do, we, how do we do a little bit of radical in this guy's life just to not just turn up and have a cup of tea or anything like that? Let's just, how do we do something crazy? And his wife was with us and she said, I know what we can do. Um, we'll come into the city. They don't know we're coming. We won't even phone them. And he said, we'll park the car and we'll send you out and you'll go into the, into the compound, open up the gate and just knock on his door. I said, yeah, and what's going to happen? He said, oh, you're going to have to do something really, really crazy. You know, pretend you want to go to the toilet badly and, and, and walk into the house trying to find the toilet, something like that. And I said, no, that's not going to work. Um, he said, create, be creative. And so what actually happened, someone's pinched the water bottle here. Um, but I, I just went into this uh, compound through the gates and there were three dogs all tied up, fortunately. They weren't roaming. And I went in and this guy came to the front door and he looked at this stranger, a white stranger, and it's like he couldn't speak English and um, my understanding of his language was very limited. Um, and so we had this little bit of a standoff. And then I said, God bless you, my son. And I poured this bottle of water all over him. And it's like, what the? He didn't know whether to give me the fivefold ministry or what. Um, <laughs> Ewan and his wife were looking through the bars at the back and they were just laughing. They were rolling around on the ground. Just, they went to Bible college and this guy was a real um, um, stirrer. He was a real comedian. And it was like payback from Bible college days. And then the guys came into the compound and they just laughed and laughed and there was hugging and high-fiving. But he said, you know, all of his time in ministry, you know, 14 odd years, just to do something a little bit different, it was a highlight in his life. 
you know, where he wants to give up and give in and run away from what's going on. He said, no. Well, he's been there for 40 odd years. He's led over 240 families to the Lord. That's around about 2,800 people um, in a very difficult environment. There's another guy we, we met um, just over here, right in the middle here. He's gone into a place and he's uh, been able to pass to this very, very difficult situation in the shadow of this mountain. They call this mountain Mount Kawi or the mountain of death. And he's there and he's been there, um, I forget how many years, I think it was about 16 years, maybe 14 to 16 years as well, short period of time. This is after a whole lot of churches have been burnt down um, because of all the mujahideen and all the, the, the violence that was going on. And he just came and started a church because God said, I want you to go to this location. Uh, over 1,700 people have come to the faith because of him. And so in their situation under, under the mountain Kawi, so people come from all over their nation, they come from all over the world to this place. And so what, it's in the island of Java. And uh, the Javanese, before they were Islamic, were animistic and they were uh, spirit worshipping and things like that. And human sacrifice was right up on the list. They were um, human sacrificing people on a daily basis. Uh, a very evil, very dark place. And then Buddhism started to come into the country and Hinduism and Islam all at the same time. And somehow all these religions started to come to this Mount Kawi as a place of pilgrimage. It was a really, really weird, uh, weird place to be. And the Lord said to, to us, go and stand spend time, even a day with this guy who was struggling, right under the shadow of this mountain. And we went there and he said, do you want to see this place? And it's like, not really. Why would I want to go to this place where they do human sacrificing? Well, we went up there. Next slide. And so we walked up this road to this gate. And I'll tell you what, as I walked up to this gate, it was like my eyelids got heavier. It's like if you put lead weight on your eyelids, you know, girls put these extended eyelashes on and I guess it's heavy, but this is like lead-lined eyelid uh, droopy things. And, and physically, your eye, eyes were just so heavy, you couldn't see. And we thought, well, let's get the cameras out and do some photography and just capture some of these things. Three of us had some very expensive cameras and like that, all three cameras just turned off. And another guy had this big, you know, like TV camera sort of thing and the whole digital screen was going it's like what just happened there? Like it was something occultic. And as we walked up and the Lord was starting to challenge me, he said, your senses, your eyes are sensing something. What is it? And I'm thinking, I can't see. The eyelids are heavy. The cameras had just gone off. And then we started to see this. Um, we started to see this blind person. Next slide there. You know, begging. Begging. And I'm starting to see all these blind people. Begging. It's like the eyes were blind because of the spirit behind them. They were, they were destitute, they were physically blind, spiritually blind. Next slide. There were the, all these beggars that were actually out there trying to catch, catch, catch money from people or catch money from people in this process. But I'm thinking, well, this is heavy duty. Next slide there quickly. Um, this is this place, Mountain of Death. Next slide. And so people used to go in there for human sacrificing. But here was this pastor called of God to go to a place and start a church. He said, man, why is it no one has ever come and encouraged us? It's hard enough to go into this place. You know, in this nation, they're sponsoring two and a half to 3,000 pastors a month to go to a particular place to actually buy their faith, to stop them becoming church leaders, to become, convert them to Islam. It's hard enough starting a church, let alone, you know, um, you know, stopping a church and turning your faith. 
Well, I'll tell you what, encouragement goes a long way. Well, in summary this morning, what's the Holy Spirit saying? He wants to give us encouragement, not just as a natural gift. I believe he wants to be able to pour out encouragement on us. Prophesying is cool. It really is. Um, words of knowledge, interpretation, all the fancy gifts, evangelistic gifts, all important. But I think in the season we're in, God is renewing something in the church. The spirit level is rising. There's more of a prophetic, more signs and wonders, more of the miraculous. We don't want to go into that this morning. But I believe one thing the Holy Spirit's wanting to do is pour out a gift of encouragement on all of us. So I'm just going to ask very simply as I close off this morning, if you would stand to your feet.